0: When writing a novel, a writer should create living people, people, not characters. A character is a caricature. Ernest Hemingway.
1: Ray Bradbury says, Plot is no more than footprints left in the snow after your characters have run by on their way to incredible destinations.
0: Stories would be mostly impossible without them, but what takes a character from a bundle of tropes or a few lines of dialogue into a seemingly real-life flesh-and-blood human? or alien or dragon or fairy computer or sentient luggage it really runs the gambit
1: this week we're continuing our discussion of literary theory with some in-depth all bold character studies (laughs) this is the book report what do you
0: okay? You yell all caps. How do you say things that are in bold? Didn't we have rules for this in um, uh, Western thought classes? Probably. I think
1: no. I thought we just came this. up with we... rules for texting, but I don't know how you speak bolded words.
0: No. Yeah. We. I gotta. Well, I'm gonna have to pull some people, but we definitely had like rules for those cram sessions before Western thought classes when none of us had read. And we did like read out loud before so class. Just how you class. read
1: bolded text. Yeah, we
0: had rules for what we did for everything. If I had and to guess, you probably
1: bolded. just drop your voice in octave, read it with yeah, gravitas. Yeah, really deep. But I
0: don't – And I bet oh. italics, you did the opposite. Yeah. There was definitely rules. I'm going to find these or we're going to share them. Yeah, next I
1: mean I'm interested <laughs> to remember what we said when we were young and dumb. Um But you know what? I stand by yelling it because I don't remember what we are supposed to do with bold words. I also don't know how you do italics because normally if I'm doing italics, I do the air quote thing, but you can't air quote speech, especially if I can't see. Yeah, I think it
0: was like one was you dropped an octave and one was you like you broke an octave. Mm, I don't know
1: that that makes Um, sense. Or
0: there may have been or it might have been like accents like italics. You might have had to adopt a stereotypical Italian accent.
1: (laughs) Great. All right, and whenever I speak uh, (laughs) bold wingdings, I just lapse into vague Eurasian. Got it. Oh, my goodness. It just
0: sounds like something we would have come up with. I don't know. Okay, so anyways, (laughs) we're
1: talking about character studies today, which... All right, anyways, let's get this road on the show. (laughs) It looks like I get to start, so apparently I dropped that ball. No, I get to start. Fine, you can be Joel today, if that's the role-playing we're doing.
0: Yes, let's role-play where I'm Joel and you're Steven. Okay, We haven't introduced ourselves in a while, by the way. Okay, so... uh, Wait, wait, so if
1: I'm Steven, do I need to, like, try and project that really, like, masculine, knows-what-he-wants-out-of-life vibe, or what what do you want me to do?
0: I think you should focus on um, the, the the attitude that you know everything, not just that you know what you want, mm, but you're, okay. you're just... Um, Stuck up
1: asshole. And, and that you're God's gift yeah. to the okay, world. Okay, I, yeah. can, I can probably do something with that. I like it. Okay, Good. okay let's see how that plays
0: cool. out. Well, um, the beginning of this is always kind of weird. We did last week, you know, we talked about what a story was, and this week we're talking about what a character is, and obviously when you say that everyone has their favorite characters, do you have a favorite, this is a hugely broad question, but do you have a favorite character in Western canon or in canon in general?
1: Uh, so I'm assuming we're talking about books since this is the book report. So I can narrow that down down a little bit. Um, I, if I had to pick a favorite character in a book, it might be, um, Oh, crud, what's his name? Um, Lucy's brother in the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, just because he starts off as such like you hate him. You just really cannot stand the kid. Um, and over the arc of several books, you, you realize the kid's got heart. He's not the worst person to have around. He's generally someone you can count on. Um, and I always liked him when I was growing up. Um, not in the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe because the kid's a dick. but. Yeah. As, as I repeater. read the rest of the series, I just always kind of identified with him, and I really liked him as a character. Um, other than that, though, my all-time favorite character, I don't even know if you could call them that because they're so much bigger than that, but my all-time favorite character of anything I've ever read has always been, will always be Robin Hood. I absolutely love that character. Um, he That's lives good. in the forest, has nothing that really he has to do, And he just chooses to spend all of his time ruining the life of the rich and famous, all while getting the girl. Like his his story is just incredible. I love Robin, big
0: character, yeah. Yeah. And he's used so many millions of different ways that he's yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, mine is along those lines. Yeah, mine is along those lines, and it's um Peter Pan. Okay. Because again, for the same like he's been used as. Mostly, you know, the comic relief, but the love interest, the hero of the stories, like he's just all over the gambit, but his actions and his characterization remains the same no matter what this kind of irreverent, happy-go-lucky person.
1: So it's interesting Um, to me that we both had to pick our favorite characters. And instead, I'd say that we both picked an archetype of a character. Um yes. because like Peter Pan is again, he's so much bigger than that specific character. He is a type of character, just as Robin Hood is a type of character, even though both of them are characters in their own stories.
0: And both of them are they're they're archetypical characters because they're far enough back in canon that other things are based on them. Other things, right. things are said to be Robin Hood like or Peter Pan like characters, but in their individual stories, or in a story where you use one of these characters, they can run the gambit on what they actually are. Um, Archetypical characters, we can start with a definition, are fundamental roles or psychological patterns that are basic across all cultures and all stories. And these can be everything from as simple as a mother and a father, a mentor, a warrior, a trickster, a lover, king, queen, prince, princess, words, or characters that as soon as you hear what they are, you know a basic building block of who that, what that person is, what that character is. But they can also get, as we just mentioned, very specific, a Robin Hood archetypical type character or a Peter Pan type character. Um, there is something that is brained into us in uh, English classes throughout our lives that the this is a Jesus stand in but other um, stories and other cultures have their religious stand-in figures. I know you are reading through the um, Journey to the West where uh, all of the characters that you meet in Journey to the West are religious stand-in characters that are not Judeo-Christian. Right. Who is the um, And that becomes an entire type of story, an entire... Uh, different branch of archetypical characters that is known as shounen or, um, everything anime is based on them and so on and so forth. And it's just a different kinds of archetypical characters. Yeah.
1: And it's really weird <laughs> to read something where your archetypes aren't the same that you're used to, because obviously Chinese culture is very different than anything we have in the West. And so you're reading something like journey to the West, or I would assume, um, the three body problem by Cixin Liu. They have these types of people that you're just not entirely used to, um, but you can still kind of get the idea of where they're coming from because even though Journey to the West is talking about kind of these different religions and these different folk heroes, it's still at its core like social satire. So you've got the uh, you know, the bureaucratic people that you're making fun of. You've got the super rich people you're making fun of. So I think you can still find a lot of those those archetypes in a cross-cultural setting.
0: Yeah, and this, uh, this is a point I have later on about ensemble casts, but The Journey to the West kind of invents the ensemble cast. If you think about all of your favorite books that have either groups of three or groups of five, they are based all the way back into The Journey to the West um, group, where you have your... And you can break down ensemble cast in a couple different ways, but the basics are the, um, the group of five or the troop of five and the uh, three-person teams, the head, hand, heart, and the heart. groups of five, yeah, the groups of five are talked about as you have your leader, um, who is usually the warrior, the godlike figure, the most powerful one. Then you have the immediate, sometimes rival to them, who is the lancer. Um, this is common in anime, but every action story that has a group people sets up like this has a lot of similar traits to the hero but is usually good at one specific thing. And they're the Lancer. Then you have your love interest or your heart character. Then you have your, um, uh, like your muscle, your big, strong muscle character. And then you have your brain, super smart character. And that team of five is found everywhere. Those archetypes are in all stories that has a group of five. And then your three person, your head, heart and hand is you have your leader, smart person, usually the chosen one, if it's a fantasy story, your Harry Potter your heart, your um, sometimes not intelligent, but the uh, the one who has the moral lessons for the group at all times and usually gets in the most trouble, the damsel in distress, or your Ron Weasley, if we're sticking with Harry Potter. And then your hand, which is the most capable, powerful member of the group uh, that actually gets the most things done, even if they're not the you know godlike chosen one, which, again, with the Harry Potter references, Hermione Granger. And this... So-
1: when you're talking about the three-person teams with the head, the heart, and the hand, um, I am not by any means a person who watches anime. Um, generally, it, it's a little bit weird for me. But I know that you and I both really enjoy the Avatar Last Airbender series. And that probably, mm-hmm. to me, demonstrates the head, the heart, and the hand the best out of any type of media that I know of. Um, because you have these three people who go on a journey, and their three roles are pretty distinct from one another. And you've got Aang, which is definitely the hand. He's got all the power. You've got the heart, which is Sokka, and he's just the comedic relief all the time. And then you have um, Sokka's sister, whose name just dropped out of my head. Katara. Katara, thank you, who is definitely the smartest of the three and kind of grounds the whole group. Mm -hmm. So I generally like the three-person team. I think it's a good format. Right.
0: It's, it's very, very common. Mm-hmm. Um, most, most stories you can start with a three-person team if you're writing one. And if you're reading one, you can usually figure out who the three-person uh, – even if they try to pretend it's all about one person, there's usually mm-hmm. a three-person group. That these, and I think this is where
1: around. a lot of authors who don't um, successfully do ensemble casts kind of fail. They don't separate their th- – their people into a head or a heart or a hand. They they try to make them all kind of a blend of all three, uh, and that doesn't generally work. You almost need them to be very distinct archetypes or even caricatures of the the trope or the type. Otherwise, it just doesn't work as well, in my opinion.
0: You need them to build off and play off one another for sure. If everybody has the same set of skills, it doesn't work. I like to. A lot of times when I'm writing, and we both just got back into writing while we're quarantined and stuck at home, a lot of times when I'm writing, I use the. I'll either use these three or these five setups to classify my people to keep them straight, or I will just think about them as if I'm building a team for a D&D or a Final Fantasy or video game. If you make all of your characters have the same skills, you're gonna fail miserably. <laughs> anybody who's ever played a video game Mm. knows you need a healer on your team even if you don't want to invest time into doing that because they're not going to be helpful in a battle you're going to need them later and the same thing works for any story you need different skills and different ideas and different beliefs in all your characters otherwise they're going to end up being super boring or run into a problem they just can't
1: solve yeah and I, I don't know if this is a popular or unpopular opinion, but that's how I generally feel about comedy movies. I think that everyone in the movie is the same person. So there's not really anything to play off of, and everyone just becomes stupider and stupider and stupider because they're all trying to get laughs or cheap laughs. Um, even though <laughs> even though I love stand-up comedy, I think it's some of the best stuff out there. As soon as you take a stand-up comedian and put them in a comedy movie, they lose me. Like, I can't stand most comedy movies because they're just so one-dimensional. There's nothing to actually play off of because everyone's just trying to be funny the whole time.
0: Right. And you can see that same concept play out over the course of long TV shows. Yeah. for Like, think about The Office or Friends where by the seventh or eighth season, they run out of ideas and all the characters start blurring together and there isn't a funny person and a straight man there is just ridiculous people all the way around yeah
1: and even if you don't necessarily like the character or the character seems a little bit boring because they are the straight man like in how i met your mother with um ted josh Radner's character you need that person yeah, you, you have to have that person or to ground it yeah
0: you have to have um you have to have people to – they have to contrast or you don't have a story. Yes. You have to have conflict or you don't have a story. Your characters have to have conflict,
1: And that's one of the big the things that reason. people start to rail against with How I Met Your Mother is that you have um, Robin's character that is very distinct in the first two or three seasons. But by the time you get to the end of the show, she is a carbon copy of Barney, which mm-hmm. ruins it um, because you no longer have that watched... back and forth dichotomy.
0: I don't know if you have watched The Good Place. Oh, I love The but Good Place. it lasted place. four seasons. Okay. It lasted four seasons specifically because they had a four-season arc and they wanted to tell that story, but also because each character, and they have a group of six, kind of, yeah. but the main group of four, and each character has their own distinct individual character arc where they change, but they never all become the same kind of person. They maintain what makes them an archetypical character mm-hmm. an idiot for for jason a vain attention seeker for um uh tahani um a self-described trash bag but average person for uh your main character who i'm think, forgetting her character name
1: kristen um, bell we'll just do the actress's name yes
0: I'm, but i'm yeah I forgot her character name and then Sheedy the the moral upright but indecisive like they maintain that archetype of their character yet they grow and learn things the whole time i love i
1: loved uh, that about the final season brilliant. um and this is not going to be a spoiler but i loved the fact that jason in particular had a full character arc he had growth but he was still a moron like he was still the same character mm-hmm. at the end of the show that he was at the beginning even though you could tell he had had a lot of character growth i loved that Because he never lost what made him unique.
0: Yeah, and that's extremely difficult to do in long-form media, um, which is what books usually are. Usually everyone who's writing a book or everyone who's making a character thinks you have to start with them at one place and change them over the course of the story. And while, yes, you have to do that a little bit, something has to change. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of scenes that Mm -hmm. are boring. But if you turn them into something they're not... That's a very specific kind of story. Like we talked about the story arcs last time. That's a rebirth story. Mm-hmm. And every story can't be a rebirth story. Sometimes characters have to stay who they are the whole time, even if they learn new information Yeah, and I think and change some of their actions.
1: And I think that's a really important, important point to make, because last time, um, last week, I made the point that I like just grouping characters into dynamic or static. But you're absolutely right that if a character is dynamic – they can't be so dynamic that they lose who they are. They have to retain their individuality. They have to retain what makes them unique. Otherwise you don't care about them the same way by the end of their story arc. And yeah, that's really can't. important in a story.
0: Yeah, That's, that's okay. This is a very unpopular opinion that is going to get uh, the few listeners we have to change the channel. Not that this is a radio show. We don't have channels, but um, maybe we
1: should switch to radio.
0: One of my, maybe one of my, biggest problems with um a couple of the newest super popular shows uh, the mandalorian and the witcher series oh yeah there's i have a bunch of problems with those shows they're well acted they're well written they're amazingly well produced but i don't care about the characters ever like i've i never and it's partly because i'm Star Wars I'm invested in. I've read almost all the books. I've watched all the movies. I haven't watched all the TV shows, but I I know everything about it. The Witcher, I've even read several of the books. I never played the games. So I have already some interest in the character, but the shows themselves never bothered trying to instill that in you. They just assumed you would already have it, and that felt so cheap that the characters on screen never felt realized and I never cared about their plights in the history and in the, in the part of the show.
1: I, and I actually appreciate the fact that you have that opinion because usually you and I don't agree on a lot of media stuff like this. I would agree with you about the Mandalorian a hundred percent. I really struggled to get into that exactly for the reasons that you're describing the, the character just the Mandalorian. He felt like a flat character. Um, Yes. All the way through, unfortunately.
0: And that's – and it's – there's a lot of stuff that goes into that, the reason he feels that way. And it's kind of the main point I want to make in this episode, so I'm going to try to with, say it without saying that. But one of the things that's lacking in the Mandalorian story arc is a clear, like, foil, a clear bad guy. Basically, yeah. everybody else he interacts with in the story – is more interesting than his blank slate character. The child and its mysterious background is interesting. The client, um, his mysterious background, and what he wants is interesting because you never get it. Mm-hmm. That yeah. other bounty hunter chick he runs into who used to work for the empire or something is interesting, but they never focus on him. They keep the camera pointed at the Mandalorian the entire time and tell you none of his backstory really, but also implies that he just doesn't have one like he's just a boring nothing character yeah because we see everything about him and he doesn't speak a lot and that just doesn't work when he doesn't have this people like he doesn't have an ensemble cast around him to build him up he's just there by himself and everybody he interacts with is more interesting than him and it's just annoying
1: yeah i agree completely you absolutely have to have if you are going to have a flat character like that it can work but they need to have someone to, they need to have an ensemble it's kind of like um in the guardians of the galaxy drax is kind of that flat character who's not supposed to have emotion or anything like that but he's surrounded by people who are able to play off of him and he's able to play off yeah. of them and it works and And he seems like an interesting character, even though if there was an entire movie about him, it would be really boring.
0: Yeah, but it makes him unintentionally hilarious and interesting because the people around him have to interact with this blank slate. Yes. (laughs) Literal person. Yeah,
1: and I think that's the trick to making a good character, kind of going back to this this whole episode. If you want to make a good character, you have to have – just good interactions you have to have good people you have to have good side characters to make a good main character
0: yeah and i want to go into this because it's a really easy way to do that the very basic way um i mean the very basic thing of anything is a a diode a, a opposite yeah so your characters are usually only as good as your villains and we can tell that by the fact that batman is the most popular superhero in the world and it's because every one of us can name at least five of his bad guys because his villains are genius. And in the Mandalorian, for instance, who was the main villain of the story? Was it the client? Was it the other bounty hunters? Was it the empire? Like, it's never clear. You never even know who he's super fighting against. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of dulls down everything.
1: Well, it's, it's so, also why, just going back to the real world, why if you ask most people what their favorite period in history is to study. And I know this as a history teacher. If you ask people what they think is the most interesting part of history, or if you ask like a 40 year old guy, what his favorite period of history is, it's always world war II. It's because the villain is clear cut. Yeah, you have this very, was- very obvious good versus evil scenario. And it makes it so interesting because you have, you have a Hitler and there is nothing more interesting than fighting against someone like that.
0: Yes, a hundred percent. You need a you need a villain. Um, I mean, you can have a story where it's character versus nature or you know, something like that, but even then there is a clear struggle. There's gotta be something you're fighting against. We're not gonna talk about those because those are their own interesting stories. <laughs> but I love since we're talking about characters and we started off with our favorite um main characters let's talk about the villains we love and then why why they the character of that villain makes the story better as a whole so i have um i have written down here without spoiling anything every single villain in the expanse series is amazing and they have usually like one main one a book some of them carry over to the next book and there's some overarching villains but they usually have a focus for each book in the series and these villains are brilliant because all of their actions are entirely understandable as in they give you everything that gets up to that point. You know, in like a criminal minds or a procedural TV show where um, it shows you why the bad guy is a serial killer or what weird thing from his childhood made him want to do this at the end. Um, In the expanse series, every character has that times like 20. You are put in their shoes, and by the end of their story arc, you would have at least considered doing the same things they did, which makes them terrible villains. And that makes for a much more interesting story than a pure evil bad guy like Voldemort. Um, You haven't read any of these, so I can't really go into much more detail without spoiling things. Um, it's okay they but, are
1: loaded onto my kindle so i'm i'm ready for okay. it you can do whatever <laughs> gotcha. you want i probably won't remember what you have said
0: okay well there's a father-son duo um marco and philip that are villains in the f- fourth or fifth books in the series i'm not sure exactly but these are the absolute extreme definition of tribalism um they see all of their actions as absolutely necessary to win a war because they are the rebels fighting against an oppressive government And they're not really that wrong. But if you take it a different context, so imagine Star Wars. The rebels are the good guys. They are fighting this massive war against a super oppressive government. And so even destroying a space station filled with thousands or millions of people is not a drastic move. That is a good victory for the good guys, even though millions of people probably died. And that's the same concept you get but it's making that the villains. And doing that, giving your your bad guys like a sympathetic vote makes every actions by both the hero and the villain so much more intriguing because the whole time you're kind of arguing with yourself as to who's right right now. And again, we're talking about how all characters are made better or made possible by their play off of one another. And if you can blur that line at any point it's going to uh, amplify your story a million times. Hello?
1: Yeah, I'm still here. I don't know why you paused.
0: Okay. I, I didn't have a quick follow-up to that because the next one I was going into was Children of Time. which Well, was
1: that red. was not clear.
0: Um, I know. Like, At I all. Didn't have a it transition. was like if I stopped, <laughs> stopped the sentence halfway
1: through, just yeah. like I did. Without uh, asking a question, it's okay. We can continue
0: on. You need to anticipate me, Stephen. You you know what? Read my mind. You're (laughs) right.
1: This is clearly my fault. I'm a bad person. I don't deserve you. You make my life complete. Um, In case this was not obviously an abusive relationship, Um, so, anyways, uh, I'm just going to agree with you on that. I think that that definitely does make it a very interesting dynamic to play with so let's go ahead and talk about children of time since that's clearly what you wanted to do
0: obviously well children of time your uh that plays with that blurred line idea and by the end of it we've both stated that we're rooting for the should be the bad guys from the beginning the spiders and the, it played these two character groups off of each other so much that by the end you have changed your mind on who is good and evil. Yeah. And, and, and
1: I know. don't want to spend too much time on this because we have already done an entire episode and like a half on this particular right. book, but it, it really does kind of set the, the, um, the villain isn't always a bad guy type of story. And I really do enjoy that because it, it turns the whole idea of a villain on its head and, it makes you root for a villain who isn't actually a bad guy, and it's a really interesting exactly. way to play that.
0: Because a villain or an antagonist doesn't ever actually doesn't have to actually be evil; they just have to be against your main character.
1: Yeah, and most most authors, when they're setting up their characters, they're they're not going to instinctively do that. They're going to say, "Okay, my villain is going to be Sauron or Darth Vader or Hitler or any of a number of people who are just straight up evil."
0: Exactly. And this is getting this next one gets into the problem with a lot of modern storytelling that why things get so predictable and boring is because most modern storytelling is told in short form, medium in movies. That's the biggest pop culture thing we know all the time. And a lot of it is your villain is a direct foil to the good guy, but they have the same abilities for no inexplicable reason. Your Iron Man guy fights somebody in in a robot suit at the end of every movie. Your um, uh, Thor fights another super strong magical deity at the end of every movie. It just, they have to have the same abilities for some reason to make the cinematic movie uh, universe work. But that's not a very interesting story because you already know what the good guy can do and you already know what the bad guy can do because it's just a carbon copy. Um, a better and more realistic version of a villain is the Superman versus Lex Luthor dynamic. Extremely different skill sets facing off against one another. Super strength versus super intelligence. Um, It it happens a a couple more times in comic books, but we can get away with that. The example I wanted to use in this is the Mule from the Foundation series and Second Foundation. I know you're a fan, Stephen, and I know we don't want to give away too much because it's a really good story, but the Foundation story works. It's all based on this idea that the future is inherently predictable and governable. You can do things and watch your actions ripple throughout history. And because of that, all the conflicts they have are predicted well in advance and they're trying to solve problems based on, I don't know how to describe it but without spoiling it, but based on centuries-old advice. So your villain, the first time you get to a, your villain in most of the stories um, inside the Foundation are people that are just trying to go against the grain, don't believe the, the history, or want to use what they know is coming for their own political gain. They're buying into the system, and trying to profit based on the system you're in. Then comes the best villain in the whole series, one of my favorite villains in all of fiction, The Mule, who not only is unpredictable, does not fit into the idea of the story in general, but also doesn't care about it. He's not trying to win political gain by gaming the system. He's not trying to take over a world by political machinations or even warfare. He just does not fit at all. And because of that, none of the characters know how to deal with them. It's facing a completely unknown threat, which makes every single action and everything you've been, you know, programmed to think inside the story, you have to throw it out. And it's just so interesting to play on that idea that all of your beliefs are wrong right now. Where are we going
1: to go from here? So I don't actually. I I like the mule. I love the foundation series. I think the whole thing is really well written out. Um, I don't like the mule as a character or as a villain, and I'm I'm sorry to say that after you said he's your favorite, um, but the reason I don't. That's fine. And that that's not entirely true. I don't like him in this book, and the reason for that is because the entire book, um, is set up in a very scientific, science fiction way. And then the mule is almost a magical character. Um, And and that just never really seemed to fit for me. It's like if um, someone was telling a story about my life and then halfway through, um, I don't know, like I turned out to be an alien with no build up to it. It just it would feel off a little bit. Um, but I understand yeah, your, I understand kind of- your other points about the mule. I do think he's a compelling character and I really like him and his motivations. I just don't know that I like him in the book that he is in.
0: Gotcha. See the, the reason I like him so much because it seems like he was taken out of another story and thrown into this because it messes up the predictability of the story so much. And that's the point of his character is for one whole book. Everything's been predicted to the letter. And the second whole book, half of it, everything's been predicted to the letter. And then suddenly something comes along that is not only just not predicted at all, but is actively like erasing the idea of being able to predict the future by his mere existence. He just does not fit into the story. and therefore, like the idea of if you get stuck writing something, you know, have one of your characters have somebody walk into the room with a gun. And that's how the Mule feels for the entire Foundation story. Yeah, but, like, you can only walk into a, a, a room with a
1: gun it. if guns exist in your universe, you know? And that's, like, it's it's just weird to have a character that doesn't fit in the universe walk into the universe.
0: Oh, see, I love that. I love the shakeup it has to go, and the fact that because of that... I don't remember most of the characters in the Mule. Or, not the Mule, in the Foundation story. Mm-hmm. But I remember... Everybody that was on that ship with him, I can tell you a specific scenes of all the people happened to them because their characters were completely defined by how they had to interact with something that they had no frame of reference for. And it's all about the idea of there has to be contrast. There has to be that push and pull. Okay. Uh, the next one is kind of along the same lines, but a much less drastic Ooh. idea. Everyone's favorite villain from the Harry Potter series, if they've read it, everyone's favorite villain is Umbridge. I'm just going to let you know
1: uh, before you expect me to chime in on this. I've never read Harry Potter. So keep it short because I'm going to be like checked out for the entire time you're talking now.
0: I'll keep it very short. So Voldemort obviously is the big bad. You know what to expect from him. Every now and then there's other side bads in the stories. And then comes Umbridge, this like extremely evil person that we can all recognize as somebody in our lives. We've all seen somebody like this. They just have power and think they can do whatever because they have power. They're the mean teacher that we've all had that you're not really sure why she hates students, but she's a teacher. And I think the reason she's everybody's favorite villain is a, because we can all relate. We all know someone exactly like her and B because she doesn't fit the mold of all the villains we've seen before. Everybody else has had some weird ideology that has been twisted and is straight-up evil, their embodiment of evil. She is got very clear goals and methods and means, and then they are slightly askew, which lets her align with the bad guy. But not totally. Like She's not this pure evil character. She's just this person who has ideas of how things works and wants order and the evil person offers order so she sides with them and that is so much more realistic than a pure evil character people gravitate to her more than they do towards Voldemort or Darth Sidious or whoever the main big bad all-encompassing evil characters are because they don't actually exist very often in real life Did I go short enough for you?
1: <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Are you done?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm done. Oh,
1: cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No idea what you said, but I'm sure it was intelligent and great, and I'm happy about it. Good job, okay. Joel. <laughs> You're amazing.
0: Well, the rest of this, um, we, we went. In, I had ensemble cast here at the end of this character discussion, but we kind of already jumped into that. Uh, did you have anything you wanted to add about the idea of or your favorite ensemble cast stories?
1: Um, I don't know. You never even asked me about the villains I like, jerk.
0: I didn't. I just assumed you would uh, agree, but who's your favorite villain then?
1: Wait, why would my favorite villains be your favorite villains?
0: Well, these weren't favorite villains. These were just villains that we love. Fine, I
1: don't even care anymore. You just did an entire episode about someone called Umbridge. I don't know who that is.
0: (laughs) Yes, everyone else in the world knows who that Mm, is. No,
1: disagree. Disagree. Anyways, my okay, favorite, favorite villain? villain is from a less known book called the Chronicles of the Unhooned Throne. It's Ran Il Torja, and they are a very compelling character because everything they do is straight manipulation. They never tell the full truth, but you can't tell if they're lying or telling half a truth or a quarter truth or an eighth of a truth and it is really really mind-boggling to see how many different ways the truth can be twisted in order to fit an agenda or make the different characters in the book side with them and i love that and i wish more villains did that the end that's how you do a short one so ensemble
0: casts but no i want to play off that a little bit (laughs) um the idea that you can't read them is the argument we're kind of making in this episode The 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 all of characterization is based on how they react to situations. Like that's just what a character is. Um, And if you put them in a situation where you can't predict what they react, then what they do is the characterization. Right? That's how. That's just how it has to work. So our favorite villains. the the main through line we can find from all of them is they're they're villains that put your heroes into situations where you won't be able to predict what they will do. And therefore the actions that they do are more memorable because you couldn't guess at it.
1: Fair enough. Okay. I could probably agree with that. All right. So ensemble casts.
0: So, I mean, we we already talked about them a little bit with the five part or the, the five part band or the three head, heart and hand. But we can just offer some examples right now. I mean, I don't even think Again, you need
1: like specific. I, mean, I guess these are specific, but any TV show that you've watched, whether it's New Girls, right. How I Met Your Mother, uh, Parks and Rec, any of those, they all have brilliant ensemble casts because everyone fills a very specific role, and they are interesting and unique characters that are able to play. Or for off the most with part, they other.
0: stick with that role. Yeah, um, yeah. I will be remiss if I don't offer up animorphs again as a 50 something book series they're all really short that keeps that um class distinction between their main six characters throughout all of the books all of them learn and grow but they maintain their status within the group and it's just a perfect example of how an ensemble cast should work in long form medium so there's my one per week (laughs) go read animorphs yeah
1: (laughs) Or not, (laughs) if you're over the age of eight. Um, So looking, can we go into some of the books that you or we had written down here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
1: so um, in terms of ensemble casts, I absolutely, obviously, love the series of Unfortunate Events. I think that is a just fantastic, interesting twist on the ensemble because uh, one of the main characters of the book doesn't even really talk that much. But it still makes the ensemble work just a little bit better. And mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah.
0: And that follows the the head, hearf, head heart hand really well. Yeah. Because the heart is this baby who can't talk that they're always trying to dote on. But it also comes in a clench most of the time.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to
0: rescue them from whatever's yeah,
1: going on. Yeah, usually just by biting yeah. someone, which is exactly. very <laughs> in-character for a child.
0: <laughs> um. We've also put Dresden Files, which we've talked for at length about, and I like the Dresden Files because there is, you could argue that there's a core three in the later books, but usually each book has its own unique ensemble cast. It has maybe one or two holdover characters. And that was the comment I was going to make. Like
1: the Dresden Files does not really start off as an ensemble cast type of book. It's very much Dresden driven. Um, But as you progress Mm -hmm. through the series and more people get involved with him in his life, it very much becomes an ensemble, which is kind of neat to watch.
0: Yeah, and it works a little bit like – I have Lord of the Rings listed up above. It works a little bit like Lord of the Rings where the cast keeps being reshuffled, but all the core archetypical roles keep being fulfilled by different people in each
1: book. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings is interesting because you've got a very large ensemble cast that gets split into smaller yes, ensembles, which I think different, yeah, it allows levels. for more character development, which is a pretty interesting choice um, for Tolkien to yeah, do. Yeah, it's
0: it's it, again, it's the idea of okay, we've seen how all these group these people act when there's this group and there's this clear leader. Let's take away that clear leader and see what they do. Okay, now let's split them into smaller groups and see what they do. Now let's put them in even smaller groups and see what they do, and it just keeps going like that until you completely understand each character yeah. because you've seen them play off of every other character. Yeah, we have the Wheel of Time. Um, obviously, Harry Potter we talked about at least length. John dies at the end, and the brothers Karamazov mm-hmm. on here has a bunch of other interesting ways you can play on character development with different sized groups down to the Brothers Karamazov being just two, right? Mm-hmm. I haven't read that in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, um, I don't know how long we've been talking because we started recording long before we actually started talking, <laughs> but basically the idea is you. we both started this episode with naming our favorite character and then said these are arch- archetypical-type characters. But in reality both those characters would be completely pointless and useless without the rest of their groups. Um, and they would be boring without them. If there was just a movie about Robin Hood and had, didn't have Friar Tuck or little John or Mared Marion, um, it would be an incredibly boring movie. We wanna care. He has no motivation to do anything. You don't know who he is. If you had Harry Potter, if you had, um, uh, wow. Why did my brain just blink out? (laughs) If you had Peter Pan without Wendy or the Lost Boys or Captain Hook to, to challenge him and play off of, it would be this terrifying, boring, crazy person. Because all characterization on all characters are built on other people. So if you're, if you're writing a book, you're, reading a story um the easiest way to fall into a boring arc or a mary sue type character is to leave them by themselves and to have just one person at a time Uh,
1: but i also think and as you were talking about this it brought up one book that i think does a excellent job of showing that you can write a book with a phenomenal character that does pretty much everything by themselves and to me that would be the martian um, yes, that is or just an excellent example. And in that sense, Mars itself is its own character. Um, but that goes mm-hmm. back to the whole man versus nature plot device. Um, yeah. But I, I do think it is possible to make that type of a book work, but it is very rare. You almost always have to have interesting side characters. Otherwise, it's just garbage.
0: But the theory I've been building towards holds up even in The Martian because within the first few chapters of The Martian – All he talks about are his – are the differences between him and his fellow um, astronauts. Yeah. He harps on that point for the entirety of the opening to the book until he's finally alone and talking about his struggle against nature. Yes, he does. So he introduces himself by saying how he's different than other people. And the rest of the cast is there. You get to see them several times throughout the book. You do. And it it keeps building up that contrast. There are books where there's only one character pretty much the entire time, but you cannot define a character by themselves. They have to interact with and be opposed by something else. There's a guy named John Shuby who um, he wrote this book that I absolutely love called The Anatomy of Story. I'm going to read a quote from it because it kind of makes this point uh, the best best way I can understand It's that most writers come at character all wrong. They start by listing all the traits of a hero, tell the story about him, and then somehow make him change at the end. That won't work no matter how hard you try. The idea is you cannot just come up with a list of character character traits and then write a story about them. You have to play those character traits against somebody else. You have to let them develop, and you have to have a web of characters that influence each other or they're going to fall flat and be boring.
1: So if we were going to create a unifying theory of characterization, would you say, and this is just my first attempt at this, would you say or agree with the statement that characters are their interactions?
0: Yes, 100%.
1: Okay. Because I think that's kind of what we've been discussing and getting to and building towards is just that, You can have the most interesting person in the world, but if they're just sitting in a room watching Netflix, it's not worth a story. But as soon as you have interesting things happen to them, and that can be the people around them, the environment, the ensemble cast, as soon as you have interesting interactions, you have an interesting character.
0: Yes, I love that. So to recap from the last two episodes, we started with a story is just a character's arc. It's the hero's journey. Um, and then a character itself is just their interactions with others. You you can't have one without the other. Obviously, we're, building, we're putting this together as you have to build on the one before. So the idea is nothing happens in a vacuum. But um, I like that we managed to meld those together without really trying. And I hope <laughs> we can do it with the next one as well.
1: No, <laughs> oh, we're essentially geniuses at this point. We'll do it. Get it.
0: Right? Well, next time um, we're going to be talking about world building and the setting that your story takes place
1: in. And so, I'm excited yay. for that because world building is what makes or breaks a fantasy or sci-fi book.
0: Which is obviously our favorite. Oh,
1: so excited. <laughs> Cannot wait.
0: Yeah. We also have a, another um, special uh, quarantine episode that we've already recorded, I just need to get off my ass and put it together and get it out. Um, So look for that at some point this week too. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And if, um, yeah, I'll make sure to list all the books we discussed in the episode description um, as all of our recommendations for this week because we went through a whole lot of stories very quickly that we referenced, um, all of which we wanted to reference if they weren't great. But, um, yeah, if you want to talk to us, reach out at bookreportpod at gmail.com. Twitter is at book underscore pod. Facebook is at bookreportpodcast. And Instagram is at the bookreportpod. We'd love followers because everyone loves followers, I guess. I don't know. I don't have a really good ending to that statement.
1: We would love followers because we are narcissists. And what is a narcissist if no one's paying attention to them? (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, uh do you have any news or announcements? Because I don't think I have any. Um I'm
1: pregnant. I'm not.
0: Well that's I'm sorry. Science hasn't gone that far miraculous. yet.
1: Unfortunately. <laughs> no. No, nothing interesting. The entire world is on lockdown. I've been in my apartment for like fourteen days. I'm starting yeah. to feel like I'm on a spaceship. And honestly, this entire experience has made me reevaluate how I feel about Star Trek. I think that I <laughs> would hate it, like being stuck yeah, on a probably. ship for years at a time.
0: Whew! Yeah, that would drive you nuts. Everyone
1: on that at show should have had a psychotic break by season two. That's
0: that's why they introduced holodecks. Oh, I do have a minor announcement. We, we tweeted this out on the um, on our Twitter. But the author of Animorphs uh, wrote a – while they're in quarantine, they wrote a new short story from the point of view of Tobias, one of my favorite characters, and they released it all via Twitter. So we tweeted that out if you want to go read that. Um, It's a fun little just short story from an interesting character.
1: Oh, more important than that, just saying, Uh, Mm -hmm. apparently there's going to be a – New bonus episode of Tiger King coming out next week. Oh, that yes, seems important. yes, I did see
0: that too. Yes. So, yeah. Definitely a whole cavalcade of interesting characters and in that crazy thing. If you haven't watched that show, it exceeds the hype. Um, go watch it. Oh,
1: man. We should have just done our characterization I, episode on that.
0: Yeah. Whew. We should have. We
1: missed an opportunity there.
0: I was a reporter... In Oklahoma, when this story first started breaking, and I knew all the major plot points, um, and that documentary still blew me away with information. I had just no frame of reference.
1: Oh, it's for. bonkers. It's so it's good. Perfect.
0: <laughs> this is not even an ad, just go watch it.
1: Just do it. It's worth every second of your time. It's amazing. You've got you have gay tiger owners in thruples.
0: Weird bestiality cults. Everything's insane.
1: It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. <laughs>
0: On that note, I'm going to say bye because my recording's over an hour at this point.
1: Later, haters.